Hello everyone, welcome to our Inspiring Thoughts podcast today. I'm delighted to have Nadia Baker with us, who is a cultural and employee engagement specialist. So Nadia, great to have you on board for the podcast. Morning Steve, thanks for having me. You're very welcome, very welcome. So um, today we're going to really talk about um, cultural change within organisations, really kind of um, delve into Nadia's expertise to bring to life, uh, especially about those organisations that are brave to move forward and change. So before we start and get going today, Nadia's had seven questions sent to her in advance to give preparation so we can get that rich kind of um, advice from Nadia. So Nadia, would you just tell us about your brief career uh, up until today? Oh, I don't know if it's brief, Steve, but um, I've worked in finance for most of my career and broadly in leadership type roles. Um, believe it or not, I wouldn't have put these two words together, but finance has been a blast. Um, I've done lots of large operational leadership type roles, performance leadership roles. I've led specialist teams in like financial advice and um, risk. And then if you fast forward a little a few years after doing my CIPD, I moved into roles uh, like the head of employee engagement and now the head of employee engagement and internal communications. And I've been in this arena for about four and a half years, going on five years. Um, Lots of those roles, the ones where it's employee centric are definitely my favourite. And that shouldn't be a surprise. They're the ones that are most rewarding. Um, And I've been really fortunate to work in so many roles where you've either worked really close to the customer, to colleagues who are working really close to the customer, but also alongside some really senior stakeholders who are making the decisions to shape the organisation. So I think I've got quite a nice, well-rounded perspective of how an organisation works. Yeah, and I just love the bit there, Nadi, already saying about the customer. With so many people we get to work with, just think of the organisation rather than actually who pays the salary at the end of the day and that's that customer we've got to keep that customer centric and think about actually how we serve and support them to keep coming back for more etc so I really love that so that's a that's a gold star already Nadia so I like that it's fantastic so let's delve in today because I'm really excited about cultural change and uh, from that point of view with organisation so our first question we've got is what what do we mean by organisational culture because it's quite a broad kind of part What, what do we mean by it and when you said me this question, I thought, gosh, you could write a whole essay on that. Um, so let's try and keep it succinct. So if you think about culture full stop, it's broadly defined by a group of different specialists as what you'd see as a set of beliefs or symbols or the very rituals that people abide by in a, any particular society. You can probably see that in your day to day life. Um, So I guess if you play that through to what that means in an organisation, it's the culture of the organisation shaped by these same informal dimensions. So these same rituals, the same symbols, the same types of behaviours that you see as a pattern because of the culture of the organisation. So I guess you could say the culture is the guidepost of what is and isn't acceptable in terms of people's behaviours. It's the type of rituals you'll embody every day. But very frequently, it's the unwritten rules that people are working by rather than the formal stuff that you might intend to be your culture. Um, You'll frequently hear people describe organisational culture as just the way things are done around here, Um, whether intended or not. And then I think I was really thinking about the complexities that you have here, because depending on the size of the organisation, 
those same behaviours and the rituals might vary from department to department and they might also vary depending on the leader that's leading each of those, yeah. their personal preferences, their experience, their behaviours. And so then you create what we call subcultures. So you might have an intended organisational culture and then you've got these subcultures which might pull away from that. So if you're going to have a strong organisational culture, it needs to be one where it's unified yeah. as much as possible. And I'm always cautious to say that because you don't want unified to be robotic yeah. or to be something which creates a degree of stifling innovation or bringing out people's yeah. personalities. But you do need a, a set of unified standards for people to abide by. And then I started to unpack a slightly different perspective on it. So I did a bit of research and Shine and Shine's research said that actually organisational culture is most determined by a leader's behaviour. So it's their behaviour that's creating yeah. the culture of your organisation, which could be great, could be a problem, depending on the leaders that you've got. And then... I guess you're thinking about your organisational culture in two spheres. Nadia, if I stop you a second, sorry, I've got loads of yeah. noise going on. So bear me a second. Yeah. I think the bin men are just going mm -hmm. past. So give me one bit. So we'll pick, pick up, hold that bit. So give me one second. Isn't it, isn't it typical? I'm just sitting there thinking I can hear noise, more and more noise. So we'll we just carry on. We won't talk in a minute. They'll literally be done two seconds and they'll be passed. Um, and we'll pick up from that point of view. So what I, would you, can you remember where you were just kind of final bit where I stopped? Yeah. yeah. Split into two parts. Cool. So if I go now, one, two, three, carry on. So... I guess if you're thinking about organisational culture, you're thinking about leaders, you're think, thinking about the impact they have, you're thinking about a unified set of behaviours, yeah. and you can frame it in two ways. You've got the very visible and formal aspects of your culture. Yeah. You're thinking about that in terms of your structures, your policies, the, even the physical presence of your offices and the types of facilities yeah. that you have. How does it feel when people yeah. go to work? What type of language is used is a strong determinant of the culture, the routines, the meetings, the governance, the way people behave in those. And then you've got the very informal arena of culture. And that's the stories that people are hearing and interpreting yeah. about what's going on in the organisation. Yeah. These are the rituals that don't form any part of any formal framework, nothing intended, yeah. but rather just how things have always been done around here. It's yeah. the employee perception, the emotions that are derived from that, and then, of course, the behaviours that that drives. Yeah. This is probably really where your culture sits. Yeah. Unintended, and that's where you probably need to pay the most attention. Yeah. And I love the a couple of parts already about the, you've got the written rule, which we, we get to work with a lot of organisations thinking it's the written rule is going to change the culture. But for me, and I really, really love the way that you said that, is that actually how that leader behaves, how the person works, the culture they set, the language, the feeling, how the environment is set. That's true culture. And that's where we want to try and get organisations to think about. It's the unwritten rule of behaviour. So, for example, I've seen and kind of experiences that during work, people say how great the company is and the beliefs and those kind of bits. But then on WhatsApp or social media, outside of work they're saying different things so actually 
how they walk the walk or talk the talk are two different bits of the culture kind of dies from that perspective, doesn't it? I always think about um, the biggest measure of your culture is what your employees are saying about you around the dinner table yeah. at home. Um, and if that's positive, probably got a good culture. If it's consistently negative, we've probably got some work to do. Yeah, really nicely put there, definitely. And uh, I've just got a complete side question. Who would you invite around for dinner then? If you had your top three or four people, who would you invite for dinner? Oh, what a difficult question for a reflector, Steve. We'll come back to this at the end. Stephen Adams will okay? be top of the list. Yeah, yeah, we'll come back at the end. <laughs> cool. So why might an organisation focus on cultural transformation? Why? What's the benefit? Why would a company do that? Um, I guess, again, this is this is probably never, just in my view, a single reason, um, mm. because so many parts of organisational culture are intrinsically linked. It's very, re- yeah. it's very rarely a standalone reason. And I guess if you take it back to its basics, if you believe what all the practitioners say, if you've got a very unified culture, so a set of behaviours that has a strong correlation to how good an organisation is, Mm. and in turn, that brings sustainable performance. Well, why wouldn't you want culture then to be a focus for your organisation? Who doesn't want a sustainable, strong organisation? And if you don't feel like you've got that today, then you might think the need for focused cultural transformation is important, whether that's whole scale or smaller. Yeah. Um, And I guess there's various reasons for that. Um, We could unpack a few. Perhaps you're seeing a lot of bureaucracy getting in the way of the way you're able to work, the pace at which you're able to work. You've got complex processes. We've got a lot of governance. Decision making takes a long time. You don't have a lot of empowerment in your leadership, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Maybe you've just identified, you've done a drains up and you've identified there's a lot of duplication of effort here. And that's making us quite cumbersome and slow. So we're not able to meet the customer commitments in the way that we want to because we're too busy focusing on the things that don't really add the value. You might be thinking we've got quite a large organization which are all intrinsically linked but they're not working together yeah and so that means things are really slow things are overly complex and again we're not able to focus on the things that really matter or you could be losing valuable resource maybe you've got really high attrition you're attracting them but you just can't keep great people in or you've got high absence rates and that's causing issues with how effective you can be day to day there's, there's so many reasons yeah. you could have um, a diversification challenge. You might be thinking we need to diversify what we do just to be relevant. Maybe you've got some reputational issues that you've got to face into or some customer service challenges yeah. where you think if we don't evolve now for the long term, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. And the process alone won't fix that. Yeah. Um, so I think they're interconnected. They're varied. You'll probably go think through that list and think, yeah, I'm a little bit of that and a little yeah. bit of that and maybe even a bit of that. And I sort of touched on this earlier that I think having a set of homogenous behaviours is important because that's what you would define as a unified culture. But I think you have to be very careful not to go so far with that and create a culture where it's robotic and you stifle individual personality because generally you recruit people or you have these different types of people in your organisations for what they bring. 
So you need to be very careful not to create a culture where you stifle and people yeah. think they have to just abide by what the culture is and that you stunt innovation or the ability for people to have ideas or to challenge things that just don't feel quite right because it's all very comfortable and all very nice yeah. or because you've gone too far in how prescriptive you are about how you're going to manage your new cultural yeah. transformation. So it's a fine balance. Um, in fact, the need for innovation might be the very reason that you're thinking you need cultural transformation yeah. because you need to bring that out of people. Yeah. So you have to pay very close attention to the type of create culture you want to create and how you're going to embed that. Yeah. Coming up with the idea about the culture you want is one thing. How you're going to embed it over the long term is another, in my yeah. personal view. Yeah. And the part as well there, rather than... I think sometimes people go, we just want this cultural change, which you've touched on beautifully then. Actually, when we get to work with people, and we talk to people, it could be small chunks. It is smaller yeah. bits. If you break it down, it becomes more manageable, more easier. <coughs> Excuse me. Then you can get some good wins. And then other people in the yeah. organization start to follow. <coughs> so that fellowship, fellowship leader kind of uh, point of view, people start to move with you. Whereas I think what happens, we see quite a few organizations saying we want to do the whole lot, whereas actually... Yeah people you're not going to get them with you hearts and minds behaviors etc people going through that change curve are not necessarily going to get it but i just think i love the bit there of really analyzing what is it you need to change where would you like that return on investment that's really key to get the, the organization feeling good when they're doing some kind of different or change because we know how people go through the change curve at different speeds from that perspective yeah, yeah i think that's absolutely For spot sure. on so so how can colleagues benefit from being part of a cultural change? So we said about customers earlier, but how can colleagues benefit from it? Mm. Well, I mean, you and I have both done um, big leadership roles. So I guess that would be, you would describe that as we, we believe in people. We believe in the power of people. Yeah. Otherwise, you wouldn't do those types of roles. And I do really believe that people make the organisation. Um, in fact, there's a lot of research that says you're, people can be your most valuable competitive advantage yeah. if managed in the right way. Yeah. So in which case then, why wouldn't you take those people on the cultural journey with you? Yeah. Um, to have them as a separate entity to that when they're the very people embodying it just sounds crazy. Um, other benefits, I think, are spend so much of your time at work, don't you? It's such an important yeah. part of your everyday life. So making it feel fulfilling helps both the organization and the colleagues so why wouldn't you want them to be part of it and everyone wants to feel like they've got a voice they want to feel like they can make a difference so inviting them to be part of that increases their motivation yeah. how motivated they feel by the organization how valued they feel by the organization and all of those are drivers of performance and employee yeah. engagement so for me that's a win-win for everybody yeah um also if you think about inclusivity these colleagues have got all the answers probably sitting out there yeah. um in their experiences the things they're seeing that you as a leadership team just cannot get to it's yeah. impossible for you to see and hear everything so they've probably got an array of experiences views perspectives that will help to transform yeah. your culture they'll be telling you the things that really get in the way um, and of course, that takes away some of the pain points that they're experiencing every day, the things that they just feel 
are not conducive to what to them wanting to work there or to have a good experience yeah. at work. So that's a natural win. Um, and then if you think about the practicals, it's very difficult to think you're going to transform a culture which is driven by behaviours without bringing the people who are yeah. enacting those behaviours with you. Um, you can't just suddenly come up with this creation and then say, here you go, this is what I want you to do. It'll be very difficult to move yeah. them. You mentioned the change curve. Very difficult to move them through yeah. that or take them on the journey with you just by telling them yeah. this is what you're going to do. Very parent-child type operation. Yeah. Um, so I think if I'm going to summarise that, I'd say colleagues need to have a say. Yeah. Um, by bringing them along, they can be part of the story. So they feel yeah. really valued. They can help you to shape it. They can help leaders see the blind spots that they may never get exposure to. And they can share things that are really getting in the way of them doing a brilliant job. Because fundamentally, everyone comes to work to want to do that, I believe. Yeah. And I, I really, really enjoy there about the inclusivity point of view. Pure reason being, if we if we ask people their voice, etc., people and I love the bit there. They've got the grey matter to give us the ideas, suggestions. Now, as leaders, we have choices whether you take them or not. But where I've seen mm -hmm. more often, if people have had their voice, they feel good. They go, actually, you've listened to me. You've, you've heard something about me. If they see changes, that's a big, big win. But also, then the yeah. colleagues feel that actually they've contributed. And more often than not, I feel, or where I've seen an expertise is colleagues are done to rather than included along the journey and at the end of the day that's where you get that extra motivation those extra five ten percent of performance is where the colleague really believes in it they get out of bed and they go Do you know what i know i'm going to work because i can see the vision values my voice is listened to that's that extra potential rather than actually i get out of bed and i've been told what to do and i think the other bit about innovation I've got this just real strong belief that the skill set that people have today will not be the skill set that they require in five months, six months time, etc. You've got to keep innovating yourself. Um, and I've there's an organisation we worked with recently where a couple of colleagues said, you know, I'm just happy what I'm doing. Leave me alone. That's fine. Well, they're going to get left behind. And actually, in order for them to maintain their job role, they have got to improve their skill set. They have got to improve their capability and keep moving forward. Even if they're just happy in that job, the job's going to change. And I think that's the mindset where we've got to get with also cultural change within organisations. You've got to keep moving forward. Uh, and a phrase I heard the other day, innovate or evaporate. So I just think it's quite a good bit that people have just got to keep moving forward, haven't they? You touched on something that I like that phrase as well, Steve, I might steal that, um, about that there's a lot of, um, you know, if you look at the trends in the workforce over the next couple of years, side gig features in almost everything you read. So if you've got so many of your employees, regardless of what they're doing today, doing all these things outside, whether that's they're doing trustee roles or they're leading a charity or they're, they've got their own small business on the side, then they've got so much untapped experience that yeah. we don't have. They they get exposure to a totally different part of a customer base that we don't see. Why wouldn't you want to tap into that? It's yeah. like this golden resource that you, yeah. you'd be crazy not to touch. So, I yeah, I completely yeah. agree with you. And I, and I think the bit where people get lost in it, Nadia, is the ego comes in. So then people, oh, yeah. so people then have an ego and, you know, I've been there as well. So I'm not going to, you know, preach that it's never happened to me, but an ego comes in and go, well, I'm right. You're wrong. Whereas actually where I've seen over the probably four or five years 
is people if they drop their ego and go actually you're really good at that i need you to be part of this team or help me to support organizations have flourished and absolutely really grown but you've still got that person there as a ceo or the person's in control accountable but they've dropped the ego and invited more people in which is wonderful isn't it yeah beautiful yeah okay so let's have, let's have a look at then. So what are the barriers to trying to change the organisation? So what barriers could people come up against? Oh, um, well, I think the first thing is that you've got to be patient <laughs> if you're going to yeah. enact cultural change, because it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. Um, and you can't change culture as a standalone project. You can't yeah. think, oh, I'm just going to change culture over here and leave the rest of everything else in the yeah. organisation over there. Um, and so I think the first thing is you've got to have the full backing of your senior leadership team. Yes. You've got to take them on the journey. You've got to have funding. Um, yeah. And you've got to have commitment from all of the different divisions or departments yeah. across your organisation. And a very clear why. Why is yeah. this necessary? Yeah. What you think is the reason for it being necessary may not be something that's going to resonate with everybody. So you've got to think about this in a really well-rounded view yeah. and be able to articulate that in a very compelling way. Because without that, I don't think you're going to get lots of people on board because change is hard, isn't it? It's yeah. difficult. Um other barriers are, I said, you can't do it as a standalone. So you've, you need alignment in every component yeah. of your organisation for cultural change to work. And whether that's that you do that in a phased approach, which I'd always recommend rather than wholesale. Um, so you've got to pay really close attention to what your strategy is. Is that complementing the cultural change? Do it drains up on all of your processes, your people and operational policies? Even the way you recruit people and the way you promote people, all aspects of performance management, because you can have the best cultural North Star and a really compelling why. But if at every turn, the people who are trying to bring this to life for you are coming up against barriers, they're seeing behaviours that are not conducive to that or they're coming up against policies that don't support it. You'll never get people to truly change because it's too difficult. The infrastructure is not set up for me to win, to be what you want me to be. So you've got to have um, a kind of holistic view about how you're going to change the culture. And then if you're thinking that culture, and I do believe that, is so intrinsically linked to the behaviours of your people, then asking them to change what they've known perhaps for a very long time can come with its challenges. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. You've got to take people through the change curve and people will work through that some faster than others. And you need good resources and a really robust change plan to make that happen. It goes beyond your first six months, 12 months, 24 months even. It takes a long time to make sure you're truly consistent with it, that you retrain that muscle mass and that muscle memory to react consciously different or to behave consciously different at every turn if you're really going to start to to change. And then I think leaders, I always come back to this, that for me leaders are the most crucial element. If your leaders are not on board, and I mean that at all levels, your senior leadership, your middle management as well, you mustn't forget them, then it sounds obvious but you'll come up against difficulties at every turn. Yeah. 
because perhaps you'll get your very senior leadership on board, but the middle management won't really understand what's happening. So they'll just continue acting in the way they think they're supposed to, what's expected of them. And you won't get the cut through that you're looking for. So you've got to take them on the journey, make sure they fully understand the why, and make sure you start to build in very early those symbols that say, in, t- in taking a chance, in trying to enact the cultural change, you'll be rewarded for this, whether that's through recognition, you'll be a role model, you know, we'll showcase you as an advocate for the change we want to be, whatever that may be, you've got to show them that it's safe to try it and to do yeah. it and make sure that they're fully on board. Yeah, and I think that, uh, there's, there's a couple of golden nuggets uh, there, Nadia, about people think cultural change is like a six-month done, tick, move on. When we work with organisations, it's a three year process we talk through. The first year is actually implementation. Actually, what are we working on? What would you like to change? The starting point. The second year is test and learn. What do we need to change? How do we need to? And then the third year is truly embedding. So you then start to see that real change of an organisation. So we have to work with organisations to really manage expectation. So that patience we work with from that point of view having a good plan keeps everybody aligned their checkpoints they know where they're at as well rather than we think it's good we're actually we need to articulate how it's good and the benefits to colleagues as well and that alignment and I think the other bit with you going back about leaders if leaders say things it's then magnified by colleagues so they're put on a pedestal so if a leader says "Mm, it's okay a colleague is going to go, well, it's dreadful, isn't it? It's terrible. It's not going to happen. It's, t-, you know, because the leader said that point of view. So I think leaders have to realise that that accountability responsibility they've got about promoting that, the kind of the benefits, etc., is key for an organisational change because loose lips sink ships. So that's the kind of bit that I see is people are thinking they're trying to be nice, but actually we've got to give that positive, true side to get that organisational change. That's a, a real key that I see. So some golden nuggets there for that point of view. And sorry, just to pick up on that, Steve, you're so right, because I also, and I feel very passionate about this, that we forget, we put this leadership title on people, suddenly we forget that they're human beings too. Yes, yeah. They'll also work through the change curve. They'll also have perspectives on things. They'll also be worried about how they'll be measured and, and yeah. you know what their career might look like as a result of this change. And so I think you have to put the human elements first in yeah. how you're managing these guys through the change. Yeah. Because the safer they feel, and that all comes back to that inclusive leadership again, doesn't it? The safer they yeah. feel to be able to express and talk through their, yeah. their change curve, the, the more likely you are to get advocacy faster. But in lots of organisations, I think we're guilty of thinking you have a title and therefore all the things that we would apply to our colleagues don't apply to you. Yeah. And that's risky. It's a risky strategy for me. And and I'm just smiling there because I can resonate with that with the 2008 banking crisis in a leadership role. uh, One of my senior leaders we had a phone call and said, do you know what, the bank is in trouble, all this kind of stuff. You've got to go and communicate the message. All that was going through my my head was, how is my job protected? How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to tell my wife? The, the personality of me had gone, the humanisation, it was then down to, well, you'll be all right. You'll, you'll understand it. So I think that's a really key bit about being human beings. So I think a really good point. Yeah, really good point. So. 
what is a starting point for an organization to kind of move their culture what, what do you say is the key starting point Well, if we talked earlier about um, just how culture plays out in any society, yeah. then if you were thinking about the behaviours, the rituals and all those things that are shaped to society, you'd be thoughtful about the history of it, wouldn't you? And yeah. that's exactly the same for an organisation. You mustn't lose sight of the history of the organisation because yeah. the foundations of that business are there. They're buried there. Yes. And, and you can't just swipe it and move it aside, even when you're trying to evolve the business and think forward. Yeah. Because those are the very foundations that people have made decisions to work there on, or you've just given an example there of something that happened to you in 2008. It's still sitting there in the back yeah. of your mind. So you've got to understand the history. Um, and you need to do a very, I mentioned this earlier, a very thorough diagnostic of every aspect of your organisation to understand where you probably need to focus your attention so that you don't miss out yeah. any part of it. And no matter how well you think you know your organisation as the person leading this cultural change, yeah. don't miss out this research part. Because we talked earlier about making sure you delve into what people are thinking, what people are saying, how, cl how close can you possibly be to every process and policy yeah. in your organization so you need to do that full diagnostic and then I was thinking about what's the simplest way to frame that I personally really like the cultural web by Whittington I, I like the way it's very simple to kind yeah. of visualize so I think if you're thinking about the starting point you start with understanding the structures of your organization yeah when you start to ask yourself a series of questions, are they aiding the strategy? Are they acting as a barrier? Is it yeah. conducive to collaboration or is it getting in the way and so on? Understand who holds the power in your organisation and that could be a leadership team. It could be yeah. specific individuals. It could be key stakeholders. Perhaps it's your unions who hold a lot of power. Yeah. Um, it could be anybody. And make sure that they are highly involved in your transformation journey, particularly if this is where the biggest cultural shift needs to happen. Yeah. Um, so to kind of avoid them, because this is where it's most difficult, is a huge mistake. So start yeah. there. Understand the control systems. And by that, we're kind of waiting, looking towards the meeting infrastructures, your mm. governance frameworks, how people are rewarded. Uh, performance management all of those things and whether or not they're helping uh, do people have room for creativity and all of that or is it um, a lot of slow decision making through lots of meetings do you have a learn fast culture through those or is there a no room for any mistakes culture yeah. through your controls um, think about the rituals and the routines so these are kind of the less formal things um, do you say one thing in terms of your policy or your controls and then you do a complete other thing in the way yeah. that you operate every day? I know I should be doing, but really how we do it around here is this. Yeah. Um, do your training courses kind of reinforce the messages? What are they telling people isn't, isn't acceptable in behaviours? And then finally, and we touched on this earlier, but this is always my favourite part, uh, the stories that are told in your organisation. Yeah. So really get under the skin of the belief that people hold about how things work here, how yeah. decisions are made, what people value, what's expected of them, what gets ignored. So they do things well intentioned, but that's ignored because that's not measurable right now. Yeah. 
yeah. and what gets in the way. Um, so I think if you're starting, do a diagnostic, thinking about all of those different um, areas of your organisation. Yeah. And then we talked about this earlier. You've got to truly commit. It's not for the faint-hearted. If you want yeah. it to be really impactful, you've got to commit to it and see it through. You talked yeah. about three years. I totally agree there. Um, that muscle memory takes time to change. You've got yeah. to, and you've got to show people you're serious. Yeah. You know, six months is not a long time in the no. scale of things, and and the average yeah. person's tenure. So, you've got to be truly consistent about it. And then finally, I think. Think early on, if you're thinking about starting a cultural change, you do the diagnostic. What are the quick wins? What are the yeah. symbolic manifestations that this cultural change will bring? And how do you start to show some of those very early? So perhaps it could be um, we're signifying that cultural change is underway. And you're going to see that in the equipment that you have in your offices. Yeah. You're going to see that in a change in a policy that you've told us gets in the way. Or you get the picture. But... You need some very quick wins, nice and early, for people to see that you were serious about it. And it wasn't just a lot of talking, I think. Yeah. And a good couple of bits there. So first, I think about history and legacy. I think that's really, really important. So organisations, rather than going, well, that's the past, let's dump it and we're moving on. I find it so important when organisations are respectful of legacy because that's how that company's got there in the first place or move forward. Yeah. So I think it's really, really important. Um, I think the, the other bit about that alignment <clears throat> through kind of the ranks that everybody knows from senior down. So then everybody's part of this kind of movement forward. We know that it's going to be a three year transformation period, but the rewards and the benefits outweigh that kind of time. So getting people to think bigger, broader legacy of that, that organisation uh, as well. And I think the other bit which kind of really brings in about bringing union colleagues in, bringing people in early that are key stakeholders. I get to work with so many organisations. We do uh, inspirational coaching to get to work with so many organisations that the unions are done to. Then they fill the gap with what they think is right. Then there causes animosity because they're going, well, you're not talking to us. Whereas actually most organisations I've worked with, we've brought unions in early, have been wonderful. They want the change. They want the benefits. But actually they felt done to rather than you could real good wins. And I think the last bit to finish on there, Nadia, quick wins are so important. People can touch and feel it and go, yes. I can see this change. That's what you promised, and that's what's happened. Whereas too often people wait for the big audacious win, yeah. which is a year, six months, and colleagues have lost that momentum and impetus because they've had the honeymoon period where the company said we're going to change, and they felt that excitement, but they waited too long. Whereas they could drip feed beautiful things, couldn't they? In, and they've yeah, lost that absolutely. momentum. So yeah, I think that's perfect from that perspective. So. I, sorry, Steve, I didn't touch on this earlier, but um, and I know this is something you're super passionate about. But as part of that kind of starting point, I think you need to do a capability check on all your leaders because yes. culture is about capability. Quite often, the negative behaviours you see are because I just don't know any different. So, and I know you do a lot in this space, but you've got to know if your leaders are capable of being the leader that you need them to be. 
in this new yeah. cultural environment. So I think that's yeah. an important step not to miss. Yeah. And I think the, the bit there, uh, they may not have the capability now, but what could be taught, trained, yeah. etc. Whereas a lot Absolutely. of people go, well, that leader doesn't fit now. And actually, they can change or adapt is how we can help yeah. and support. So I think that capability is perfect because they're going to be the voice to lead it. They're going to be your troops kind yeah. of leading that organisational change. So, Nadia, what, what, we're coming up to the end of 2023. What, what you know, we get asked by kind of um, our, our colleagues and podcasters to say, what are you working on or what have you been working on personally for 2023? Um, yeah, when you ask this question, I thought, oh, 2023 is almost done now. Really, I'm thinking yeah. about 2024. Um, so I've got two areas, professional and personal. Professionally, um I'm doing more research and I'm finding myself going down more and more rabbit holes um, yeah. on investigations into AI. Yeah. But I'm particularly interested in the impact on things like leadership, yeah. culture, coaching, and the impact that that has on an organisation. Because we say these yeah. are all the key foundations of good employee yeah. management and engagement or great. Yeah. The more you automate that, what's the impact? So I'm kind of yeah. looking more and more into that. Um, and then personally, I'm looking at finding, continuing to find more balance. I've done a good job this year of finding a bit more balance. Um, and I'm also, and this might feel a bit left field, I'm looking at spending a bit more time exploring more of the arts um, and some specific parts of history very early in 2024. Yeah. Where I've just got this kind of curious itch that I just want to scratch. Oh, fantastic. So really, really good. And um, Nadia, I really appreciate today because I think we can talk about cultural transformation for hours because we're both very, very passionate about it and kind of getting our people behind and kind of win. I think earlier I asked you that question about who you would have for dinner and you kind of sideballed it. So so is there an, another person you'd love to have for dinner or to come round? I'll think about this, Steve. We're gonna have... I think I'm a reflector. You should have sent me that a week in advance. Right. Have a reflect and let us know, but that'd be really cool to. I'll to put do. it on the comments when you post yeah. the video. Yeah, I think it's good. Yeah. It's good to know. So, uh, Nadia, I just want to say a huge thank you for being part of our podcast today. Very, very insightful about cultural transformation. Very detailed and giving a lot of people to uh, good stuff to think about that cultural journey. Um, I just want to wish you every success for the end of the year, um, and thank you so much for coming on today. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. Great chat, Steve. As always, thank you. Thank you, Nadia.